Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Nick, Dan, and myself cover all the match reviews from the latest Chelsea matches. We cover the team news and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you already for being an awesome listener. And you know what? Let's jump right in. Welcome back, Chelsea fans. We're here post-Arsenal in the podcast studio jumping in on this Sunday here to break it all down. We've got Dan and Nick alongside myself, Brandon, bringing it at you guys. And we even have a guest in case you missed on social media. So we'll intro him soon enough. But gentlemen, how did you celebrate the win this weekend? I know, Nick, you were at the KC Blues hanging out. What did you guys do after the match? Yesterday, um, the the spirit was so high after uh, a quality win against a team that I absolutely loathe. That uh, I I day drank all day. Uh, it was it was a marathon. Um, had, a, had a few drinks after the match, then took a, a slight nap, Dan, and then moved into the Sporting KC match in which more drinks were consumed. So I think it was just an overall kind of good vibes day. Well, that, and that, that's why I also heard there was a, a text, like in case of emergency text from your liver to me, and yep. uh, it was just screaming out in anguish and pain and asking you to stop it was uh, quite unhappy with you well it, it can survive it'll be fine dan did you get stuck into the AFTV media and chill portion from your tweet this weekend oh there there was there was some good takes i, I especially uh, especially liked that troops was 
trying to claim that uh, it was a better side. There are also some really wonderful takes about how uh, Emery needs more time and they're, they're new. He has a philosophy he's putting in. Meanwhile, Mauricio Sarri got started extremely late, extremely, extremely late, and had less time to put together his squad to train them to put the World Cup players and winners in the squad back into the rotation. So, yeah, I, I indulge in a little uh, AFT media and chill as well as, uh, you know, I mean, there was time to go to Home Depot, you know, and, and kind of look at, you know, some some flooring, some wallpaper, and then, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond, Nick. You know, I mean, this, you know, it's all, all important things to do. Surprised you had enough time. Yeah, you know, I really didn't think I was going to have enough time. Well, this is a good point to bring in our guest, Nisar Kinsella of Goal.com, Chelsea beat writer. Love it, Naz. Did you get into the AFTV media, or, or did you spend all your time just soaking in the love and enjoyment from all the Chelsea fans' bliss and jubilee? Well, there certainly was definitely bliss and jubil- jubilation uh, from the victory. But, yeah, I didn't really go into the Arsenal fan TV. Maybe something for later. You know, it's always fun to see the overreactions. Uh, but, you know, I think, the, I think that, yeah, I think it was good to see some positive reactions, some, uh, you know, just it's, it's an amazing thing to win like that as well. You know, it's just such a great game. Um, I was so lucky to be there. You know, it's just sometimes you've just got to enjoy your job and you've got to remember that it is a pleasure football and it's not worth getting angry about or upset about. It was great football. I was so lucky to cover that game. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I was pretty happy, you know. Why not? <laughs> just saw two top six teams slug it out and Chelsea came out on top. Uh, easier to write about when Chelsea win, of course, for me as well. Love it. Absolutely so, I, love it. I just I just want to quickly get your, your vibe on the atmosphere, Naz. Um it seemed on TV, at least to us, that the atmosphere was at kind of level 100. Even even after Arsenal scored, it seemed as loud as it as it did all of last season. Did you get that feeling as well? Yeah, there was a definitely a positive atmosphere. You know, you have got to remember there all the negativity around the club, and it's a fresh start. Um, you know, the new seasons are always very you know hyped up, and everyone misses the football by this point as well. So uh, you know, it's not hard to get up for a London derby. Um, and especially one where you're watching some sensational football. I think everyone at Stamford Bridge is just happy as well that Chelsea are playing expansive football, this new style. Um, I guess it's something that a lot of fans who've been going for years and years have been waiting to see. Um, you know, obviously Conte was pretty limited in his sort of style of play and, and then Mourinho as well. Uh, so Chelsea have kind of been waiting a while um, to see this kind of football. We also had uh, We Are the Shed unveiling the Roman Abramovich 15 Years 15 Trophies banner. Yeah, it was um yeah, it was a nice touch. I think not many not many football club owners get that kind of respect from their own fans. Usually people don't really like their owners, but you know, Chelsea Chelsea have had like some of the best ownership. It's something that lots of other fans dream of happening to their clubs is seeing a rich guy come in, take them over, make them into title contenders, make them into a powerhouse, uh, which Chelsea are now. Um, and it was a nice touch, especially, I think it was a good piece of good timing as well. Uh, we've got the visa issue with Abramovich. Um, Chelsea fans were showing that they were kind of almost behind Abramovich, the, the guy who's bankrolled this club for 15 years and whereas you know most of them are English so a lot of the fans are sort of saying sort of sticking two fingers up at the government saying we're on Abramovich's side uh he's an investor in our club and we love our club and I thought it's quite interesting and the timing's interesting especially amid rumors that 
he might sell the club. And, um, you know, some people on social media actually have turned on Abramovich uh, within the Chelsea fan base. It's a very small portion, but I think that a lot of match-going fans and a lot of fans who are kind of vocal on social media, uh, sometimes their, their views can differ quite widely. And I think that the match-going fans really appreciate what Abramovich has done. Well, let's go ahead and uh, get back into our normal flow. But, I mean, who doesn't love a rich sugar daddy giving you everything you want, all those trophies? Uh, but, Dan, tons of iTunes reviews coming in for this week. Brandon, the way you said that made it sound like you had personal experience. And we'll have to save that for another <laughs> podcast. But uh, I'm intrigued. Very intrigued. Anyway, iTunes reviews, we got a couple. Come through Jason XQ, who drives hundreds of miles while listening to us. Lo-fi, please. Onions, 39, because the other 38 were taken. Red Dude, 10, and Torres de Chicago all drop in some five-star love on iTunes. Thank you very much for that. We appreciate it. And, uh, Nick, they did sneak a couple questions in there. Rapid fire, over under 1.5 starts in all comps for Tammy Abraham this season. Go. Whoa, 1.5 starts? I'm going over. Okay, good. And the other question was easier route to win Europa League to get in Champions League or win top four to go through. Brandon, go. I'd say top four. That's an expectation this season. Europa League has a much longer uh, knockout round than the Champions League. Absolutely. All right. Well, those were our iTunes reviews this week. Thank you very much for leaving them. And as always, uh, it's a great way to sneak a question into the beginning of the podcast, as some people have learned, but also a way to uh, have our eternal thanks. Absolutely. And a huge shout out to Chris, Jacob, and Tom for supporting us on Patreon. You all have been messaged. Uh, you get perks. You get a lot of love from us. So make sure to cash in on that. But Nick, before we jump into the official match review of Arsenal, we have a huge milestone we are pumped to share about this week on Instagram. Huge. Uh, we put the call out a couple of weeks ago to get us to uh, 10,000 followers on Instagram. You guys delivered. Uh, we broke that on Tuesday or Wednesday of this past week. So uh, we just want to say thank you for the ridiculous amount of support. And a very, very special thank you uh, goes out to Chris Axon, who is a guy who is a regular match-going fan, just happens to be a pretty awesome photographer as well, um, and he will love that I use the word awesome. Uh, <laughs> he's he's a uh, he's a legend. He's been going forever, and he's been kind enough over the years to let us use his photos on our Instagram so that we're not using copyrighted material and blah 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 blah. So uh, we just wanted to put our heartfelt thanks out to Chris. He's been really great. When we see him in London, he's always great to have a beer with and, and chat with. I think he. Um, has a has a slight admiration for what we do. So um, just wanted to put out another call to action here, which is to go follow him on Instagram. He needs to have way more followers than we do for the quality he puts out. So go to uh, go to find him at Chris Axon CFC on Instagram and and let's let's start that wave. All right, well, here we go. Chelsea played Arsenal in the last round of the Premier League action. It was the home opener at Stamford Bridge in Sarri's first Premier League match at the bridge as well. It was this past Saturday, August 18th, in case you missed it. And right off the bat, SPB1385 on Instagram says, I took off on a flight back to England after Morata's goal. Was it an easy 2 nothing win? I mean, well, actually, it was a 3-2 win. Easy... For the first 20, 30 minutes, I'd say. And then it just kind of went haywire. And we're going to get into that. The fact that we had a correct score prediction, not just from our community, but from our very own crew, 
kind of upsets me actually. So Mike, the fact that at Rainier's Blues uh, got it right on social media, like I said, kind of kind of makes me feel bad for you. Um, when was the last time one of us predicted a match correctly? I'm not going to waste, waste too much of our <laughs> listeners' time. Um, but also congratulations to Mark and Isaac who submitted submitted their score predictions correctly on our Facebook group. Thanks to Jay posting that every week. So here we go, guys. We have lineup time. Dan, run us through or maybe just a copy-paste. You know what? Mauricio, sorry. Copy-paste from last week at Huddersfield. Keppa in goal, Rudiger, Alonso, Azpilicueta, Louise in our back four, Jorginho, Conte, Ross Barkley getting the nod in midfield, Pedro, Willian, and Murata up top. So you had Willie on the bench along with Victor Moses, Zapacosta, Christensen, Kovacic, Hazard, and Giroud. And, you know, there was an initial kind of kickback online uh, with the absence of a one Callum Hudson-Odoi with a one Ruben Loftus-Cheek. And there was absolute dead silence when Daniel Drinkwater was not included in the lineup <laughs> or the on. substitute bench. Nick, Come on. it was don't, deafening, don't, deafening don't, silence. Don't kick the poor bastard while he's down. That's just, that's rude. You would have to find him first to do that. And uh, oh, I don't know if anyone God. can right now. Dan. All right, God. Well, savage. Naz, I do want to ask you a little bit about this, uh, mainly kind of about a a difference in Maurizio and Antonio. So Antonio would essentially never give any inclination whether his players were 100% fit or not unless they weren't going to play. I know he talked not at length, but he's pretty open about Sesk's injury uh, in the pre-match press conference and kind of, you know, how that was going to change. Do you feel like Maurizio is a little bit more open kind of with his, his team news than Antonio was? Oh, 100% more open in general. You know, he does, he affords quite detailed information. He gives very short but uh, succinct answers that really give the journalists what they want, you know, in terms of the information we need to do our job. So, uh, yeah, with Sass Fabregas, I still feel like a bit underwhelmed by the information he gave, though, because uh, although he said it was an unusual injury and gave some minor details about where the injury was on his knee and stuff, um, the kind of there still seems to be a story within the story there. Like, how did it happen? Like, why did he play against Man City if he was injured from the Arsenal game in preseason? Uh, those kind of things. So it'd be quite interesting to hear more um, uh, and get more chance to question him on some of these things. Do you think that some of that is just due to his lack of, you know, English language ability? Well, I think he needs to be a little bit careful with the politics as well. Um, if if Chelsea did mess up on the medical department type thing, I don't think he wants to upset anyone. That it's a very happy camp at the moment, so I can understand him wanting to play the politics a little bit. But I felt I felt like there could be a bit more to dig down in on that story. But I think that for Chelsea, losing Seth Fabregas isn't the biggest story and it isn't the biggest issue anymore. If it was somebody like Eden Hazard, I think we'd be obsessing over it and we'd be really digging into the minutiae of it. Um, But I think because Fabregas' importance is kind of waning a little bit. I mean, I'm still a huge Fabregas fan and and, uh, I know other people don't agree with me, but... Um, I think his sort of like you know status within the team is maybe waning. Um, he's like a legendary player who's maybe aging a little bit, maybe past his best slightly. But you know, I still think he's really important, and I'd like to see if there were mistakes made really, and in, in diagnosing Fabregas's injury because it's not normal that a guy goes plays against the best team in the land, and then all of a sudden he's uh, injured for several weeks. So um, it, it's a very unusual situation, and, and sorry he was right when he used that word. 
All right. Nick, any kind of surprises? Obviously not talking about the bench specifically that he went and copy-paste and kept uh, the same lineup as last week? Not, No surprise, really. Okay. I mean, I, w- I would have expected, you know, Hazard and Kovacic to be on the bench, so. All right. Uh, you know, top-line stats, we've got Chelsea's 62% possession, 11 shots to 6, or I'm sorry, 11 shots on target to Arsenal's 6, 24 shots total to Arsenal's 15. Um, you know, tons of passes, tons of clearances, only three offsides. I feel like that's a step in the right direction for Chelsea this season. But let's go ahead and run through the goals. So ninth minute, Dan Pedro, assist from Alonso. Let's break this back line wide open. Love that start. Oh, my gosh. It was a gorgeous goal. Uh, and it started things off so perfectly. You know, William is pulling Bellerin in, and it's giving Alonso all this space on the side. Jorginho hits that ball forward, gets Alonso, kind of the, the quarterback receiver situation. Uh, and Pedro had been offsides, and as the Arsenal attack, you know, defense is kind of moving back into position, Pedro pulls back just a little bit, you know, cocks the gun, and then pulls the trigger. And then Alonso just curves that ball forward, you know, with a nice little slice right into Pedro's path. And, you know, he uh, he nets it right past Petr Cech. And, you know, we've kind of had this conversation about, you know, people that are going to be beneficiaries under Mauricio Sarri. And, you know, we had Alex McGovern on. We had Mateo from BN slash ESPN. And it looks like Pedro might be the one of the biggest beneficiaries here because I think he's going to score buckets and have already moved him into my fantasy Premier League team. That is how confident I am after such an amazing goal and uh, how he's being deployed in the team. All right. Well, we'll keep moving on that one. Uh, Twenty. Actually, real quick, I thought Alonzo's first touch to take that ball to the air and go at the goal, that was so crucial. I thought he did so well with that one. Um, 20th minute, Murata assist Aspilicueta, Nick, and I refuse to say what you're probably about to say. Do you mean Cesar <laughs> assist Piliqueta? Because Nailed it. he's back, baby. He's back. Um, and of course it would be say, to Murata, right? <laughs> of, course, of course it would be. There's no other, there's no other way he can do it. Um, th- this to me, I, and I'm not, I'm not going to overstate it because it's one goal, you know, of the 20 or plus that we need Morata to score this year. This, to me, was a big moment for him. Uh, not only did he take a kind of a difficult ball down, he controlled it really well, uh, just put the defender in knots, and then you know slid it home against a, a weirdly positioned check, uh, which I wanted to get back to you on that, Brandon, in a second. But uh, th- this, to me, you could tell the stadium was overly elated, which was fantastic. And you could tell that maybe a little bit of the monkey was off of his back, um, to, you know, to use a, a turn of phrase there. But it just—it was a really, really great individual effort, um, and I, I'm really happy for Murata. I really am. I, I hope that that is a catalyst for him to move forward because, you know, he just—he needs—he needs those kind of moments. And I think he's a confidence player in the fact that I think he, he needs the rest of the stadium here. And, and the fans online and everybody to be behind him and not pulling him down, I guess, if that well, makes sense. I, and I think two things to that, Nick. One is his goal celebration clearly defined that as he put the thumbs in the ears at the end to, you know, I think signal that, you know, he's listening to people that are trying to get at him or pull him down. And second, we, uh, we almost had an issue 
because uh, during you know the the Twitter engagement during the actual match, I put a little "What would you do if Alvaro Almarta scored the deciding or winning goal for this game?" And one or two people did indicate that they would get their significant other pregnant. And I am very happy to report that, that was not the case because a couple of people would have had some serious repercussions on their hands to deal with if that had been the deciding goal. Lots of baby Alvaro's. Um, so anyway, Brandon, I mean, on, on Trek's positioning, I just wanted to, to toss this back to you because I thought he was he was kind of in no man's land there. And it was a very easy chance for Morata to take. Yeah, well, no, Morata hit it back across the defender back to the near post. Ideally, what Czech wants his defender to do is cut off the near post so he can just worry about the middle and the far post, and that's what he was ready to do. But when your defender is you know, doing the waltz running back of your goal, it's kind of hard to tell <laughs> what they're going to do to help you out there. So um, it's actually a really good finish by Murata to uh, pull it back to the near post uh, because he knew that Czech, you know, he was essentially assuming that that would be blocked off by the defender. So it was well done. Um, next two goals, obviously from Arsenal, 37th minute Mkhitaryan, 41st minute Wobi. So we get into halftime at 2-2. Uh, it's essentially kind of copy-paste at that point, get to the end line, slot it back, Chelsea having some issues. And then we go to the 81st minute, Naz. Alonso, the goal-scoring hero, assist Eden Hazard. Yeah, I mean, it's always it's always Hazard, isn't it? You know, he's the main man. He's a he's a big dog. Comes off the bench. Uh, you know, he's not the protagonist in this game, but somehow he still provides that moment. And it's just because he has so much quality. And Alonso, what a goal threat he is! You know, how many big goals has that guy scored for Chelsea? Uh, loads, really, I'd say. And he was getting a lot of criticism during the game because. And sort of rightly so. I'm sure we're going to get into it a little bit more. But uh, Chelsea had defensive issues throughout part of this game. And uh, and a lot of it was coming down the flanks, uh, including Alonso's side. So um, it was just great. You know, it just shows you that it's never, it's never good to be so reactionary and write a guy off. And he is a big player. And I think he's got some adapting to do. But there's something that we all know Alonso can do, and that's hit the back of the net. And it's remarkable how he finds space in the box as a left-back of not seen too many as good as him at doing that and he's been involved in such a huge amount of goals for Chelsea from assists to goals to free kicks and uh, there was a finish a bit like the uh, one one he scored against Spurs in the last minute as well it reminded me a little bit of that goal uh, so yeah two goals in London derbies for Alonso so um, I think a lot of people will have a lot of love for this guy right now you would hope so but I'm not so sure um Real quick, rewind at the Justin Carey. Shout out to him uh, on the Murata goal saying he said he found himself getting a little emotional after Murata's goal. So great to see him finally score a goal amidst all the hate surrounding him this past year. So, you know, I think that that's a really good sentiment to have, you know, get around the players and and uh, we need Murata more than ever this season to come good. So let's go ahead and dive into the match like we like to do. The first question is that, We've now seen the same lineup for Maurizio two weeks in a row, but we all know that Eden Hazard will come back into the starting lineup sooner than later. So, Nick, do you think it will be Pedro or William who makes way for our potential new captain, if I can continue to stir some controversy? <laughs> stir it up. Uh, I I don't know. I, I'm very torn on this personally because my, all my money would have been on William you know, to, to be the other guy. But I think that Pedro is showing more to me 
in 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 glimpses, not not over the course of a ninety, but I think he's showing more threat. Uh, I think Williams a great driver of the ball, um, especially out on the wing, and he provides just a speed a level of speed that Pedro is not able to match. But I think Pedro might be the better fit in this immediate term, uh, as William gets more ingrained with the you know kind of the setup and what Maurizio Sarri wants him to do. This could be you know, in every other week, you know, battle, which you hope for. And th- I think that's the main point I want to talk about here is that for the first time, it you know, in, in a couple of years, it feels like there is legitimate competition week in and week out. Uh, and I think that's driving all the players to be better. So I don't know, Dan, what, what are your thoughts? I would agree in the, the a couple of those sentiments. I think the fact that we have competition is great. I think that being able to choose between Pedro, who's a little bit more direct, who can stay operating at a high level of pace for a ridiculous amount of time. I, I just can't even imagine how much energy and, and work it takes to chase down balls across you know 90 yards at a time and go back in the same direction for the full intensity of a Premier League match and, and how he does it. I, I, I do believe that the scale is tilted a little bit in favor of Pedro, more so for the fact that he's willing to take on the you know and looks to make the shot on goal versus where you know William will sometimes get caught up in going over, you know, double dribbling, kind of passing back and laying off the ball where Pedro's willing to, you know, uncork and just take the shot. And I, I think he's going to find himself, and you, we've talked about this idea, you know, can Hazard be the beneficiary in a, in a Merton-style way? And, and I just don't know if I see that for him. I, I do see potentially Pedro jumping into this double-digit goals, you know, potentially – even a higher kind of goals plus assist total this season. And, and Naz, I mean, I, I think I, I just feel like he's better built for the kind of the intensity, the pace and the, the relentless pressing that sorry is expecting to see from the players. Yeah. Pedro's definitely uh, really comfortable pressing uh, high up the pitch. You know, he did it with Barcelona. He's from the La Masaya uh, system, you know, the Barcelona famed academy when it we used to produce loads and loads of talent not that it does anymore uh, but he was he he he's grown up like this and this is his style of football so it's not really a difficult education for him and I loved your point Dan about the uh, you know the energy and the fitness it takes to do this and you know a guy in his 30s doing that it's just sensational and he's so comfortable um, and I agree with you as well that he could outscore Eden Hazard Hazard's um, you know done quite well you know got to double digits pretty much every season even if he's not even though some people might be disappointed he's not hitting Ronaldo or Messi figures um, but I think that's harsh Uh, but I think Pedro could really like you said get loads of goals perhaps even become top scorer I think Chelsea still need Morata to do a job but I think Pedro's going to be in the team because he's a better finisher than Willian. You know, Willian, like you said, he, he tends to like to dribble and, and sort of, you know, show off and, and do skills and stuff. And that's really important. And Willian's very good when you defend deep. But what Chelsea trying to do is push right up, push high up the pitch. And Willian is a great counter-attacking player. He's a great Mourinho player. That's why Mourinho loves this guy so much. And the difference is that, you know, Sarri's just couldn't be any more different to Mourinho's style of play, really. And 
And um, yeah, I think Pedro is going to be the beneficiary. His movement's great as well. Um, that could be really important in this system where you know movement and small pa- and short passing is going to be a, a sort of piece of the play. And and I think that. I think that I'm really excited about how Pedro is going to do this season. He scored four goals under Sarri, if you include the friendlies as well. So um, that's more than any other Chelsea player, and by some distance. Um, so he really could hit big numbers. And, um, you know, I think that William will still have a huge role to play, don't get me wrong. But um, it's a squad game, and, you know, there's the Europa League, there's going to be injuries. So um, I think Chelsea have three great wingers, and. Um, maybe one or two below them as well, if you count Hudson Adoy and uh, and a few of the other guys. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I know that at um, Dino Moni CFC at that soccer guy seventeen at Jay Lee pulled five and six all on Twitter asking about this specifically, and then Oscar uh, Nordfors and Jared Andre three on Instagram. I think that. Um, I think a little, so at the Twin City Blues, I think people are a little bit surprised that William came off for Hazard yesterday. They thought William was having a better game, but I think that they're different players. William has an assist this season, whereas Pedro has two goals. Pedro makes the run to goal where William will stay wide and beat someone out wide and then get the ball in. And so I think that, again, we're, we're going to have options. It's not one is better than the other kind of in this discussion. It's very much so what do we need in this situation or type of type of kind of position but to me pedro is much more of a goal scoring threat than william just like william is much better at creating opportunities and assists um i think like his his like um like legitimate chances created is is one of the best on the team over the last four years or so so the good news is blessed with options especially when you throw callum hudson adoy and william on maybe like at the last 20 minutes, 30 minutes of a match, they can go in and change um, the way Chelsea are attacking, which is great. Can I can I quickly add just another point, you know, kind of tally on Williams' uh, side, and that would be, you know, that he is just a much better set-piece taker than Pedro, so he provides a threat, a goal threat in maybe a different way. Um, it's something that between him and David Luiz and Marcus Alonso, uh, that I think this team is going to have some real strength in this year. And uh, that is something that I'm, I'm kind of looking to, you know, just balance out, you know, what, what goals are coming from open play and what goals are coming from set pieces. And I think that even some of his corners are better, you know, than they were last year. So I'm just, I want to, I want to balance us out here. Cause I think we're all leaning towards Pedro, but uh, I would certainly uh, not, not leave William out of the, the lineup for, you know, consecutive weeks, I guess, if that makes sense. Well, and I would, you know, go back to the fact that Alonzo doesn't get the space to tee up Pedro for his goal if William doesn't drag Bellerin out of where he should be marking his position. So, I mean, William is capable of having a magnetism to him to draw players out of position and to, you know, cut across the field and to make dynamic runs. I think it's just when you look at where we struggled a lot last season, it was the fact that we went into games and couldn't score goals. <laughs> and if you can't score goals, you're not going to win the game. And I think that's where Pedro right now gets the nod, especially as we're still looking for Morata to find 100% of his ability. You're looking for Kovacic to you know start adding more in terms of the, the attacking play that we have. I mean, you know, credit to Barkley. He even had a really good shot at goal you know, for this match. But yeah, if you need goals... You're making the nod to Pedro right now, not William. 
blessed with options. That's what I'm getting that feeling from. All right, well, let's go ahead and actually talk about Alonzo a little bit more. He is a man who has pretty much always divided Chelsea opinion since he arrived on deadline day a couple seasons ago. Even I have to hold up my hand and say I have been feeling that Emerson is a better suited option for this formation and play style. But here he is again, Naz, coming up with the match winner. With Emerson not even being on the bench, is Maurizio clearly telling us that Alonso is his number one choice without a doubt? I don't think it's without a doubt. I think for the time being, um, Alonso's number one choice because of his status at the club. He's done it for, you know, he's been the main man for several seasons, two seasons now. He's done a great job for Chelsea. Um, you know, I think that I think that there are weaknesses in Alonso's game, and and that's rightly sort of labelled at him. We don't really know. He has played uh, left back in a four four in a four man defence anyway uh, before, but um, he does lack pace, and Emerson is much quicker than him. Um, but but Emerson still has a lot to prove. It's it's great competition, really, and I I wonder. I still wonder if uh, I think this is a long battle. There's lots of battles in this squad. There's lots of battles over places. We just spoke about William Pedro, even Hazard involved in that. Um, and I think this is going to be a long running battle. I think that also you know you could look at other positions, but like Christensen and Louise, lots of people talk about that. Everyone talks about the guy who's not playing because there's lots of people who are fans of the guy who's not playing. But um, I think Alonso will be given time uh, and we'll see. I think Emerson needs to take advantage in the Europa League, things like that. And the only reason he's not on the bench is because Zappa Costa is more versatile. Zappa Costa can play left, he can play right. And Emerson misses out because he's just a left-sided player. So... I think that that's not really working in his favour um, and I don't think he should be too worried about losing his place. I mean, if it's the same situation by the end of the season, then, you know, as if I was Emerson, I'd be like, I want to leave Chelsea. But I think he needs to keep his head up. He needs to be ready to fight Alonso and, and uh, there's going to be a lot of games for Chelsea this season. They have the Europa League coming up. That is a long goal slog. It's longer than the Champions League, extra games. So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if Emerson can claw that spot away from Alonso finally and uh, show what a great left back he is because he has a great legacy. He was really respected before he injured himself at Roma. Uh, well, I don't... Okay, so Dan, at the David Husband, says, despite Alonso's winner, how convinced are you of his ability to keep the starting spot? Kind of like what Naz is talking about. Um, he, he talks about the two Arsenal goals, which we'll get into in the next question. But then we also have one from Uche0902 says, is the benefit of Alonso scoring worth the liability on defense? Is that the argument? Is it he gives so much going forward that we can <sighs> deal with his maybe not so amazing one-on-one defensive skills? I don't I don't know if that's the right argument. I think the so I think looking at the pros of Alonso clearly understands how to one two appropriately with with and Hazard which is fantastic because you know, they play on the same side um, is able to make really impressive runs forward is able to find the right avenue to lead towards a goal incredible at free kick delivery so Nick mentioned earlier set pieces and having someone on the pitch that does that if you take William off the pitch and you still have Alonzo on the pitch you have a specialist at dead ball opportunities which is fantastic his pace is probably the most documented issue that we've talked about. And then obviously there's the compensation with pace. I think what we have seen is that with Angola Conte moving up a little bit forward, some of the 
defensive shortcomings at times that were masked or made a little little more murky by the fact that Angolo Conte was covering for some of the recovery or chasing down and, and closing down passing lanes pre- in previous seasons. You don't have that right now. And so I think it is exposing not just Alonso, but our entire defense to a little bit more uh, criticism, if, rightly so. I, I think it's more about the fact that you know it, it's it's also about like who do you have behind you? And I think Emerson has not proven himself to be the same type of a attacking kind of threat and ability. I think that it's more about, you know, understanding the, the total team dynamic and is there a way to compensate appropriately for that? I think my concern is if you have Luis and Alonso playing on the same side of the fence, that that feels like just an absolutely terrible position to kind of be put in because I, I generally think at this point, it's Alonzo's job to lose, and what we've seen time and time again is that when you bring in Emerson, when you bring in Ake, when you brought in competition behind him, it pushed him to play at the highest level possible and play a ton of minutes and over 66 games, contribute between goals and assists to a 20 different goals for Chelsea in the Premier League. So, Nick, I, I just don't, I don't see him losing his job unless he hits a really, really rough run of form. I mean, you basically made every point that one could make in that synopsis stand, so I appreciate that. But um, you're welcome. My, you're welcome. I, I do my, that sometimes. The the two things that I would say here is one that I don't think I think the speed thing that everyone talks about is really really overrated and kind of oversimplifies where I think Alonso may lack defensively. I think the whole team, and we're going to get into this in the next question is struggling with positioning. You know, John Terry was not a fast defender, but he was positionally excellent. He knew exactly where he was supposed to be and where everyone else was supposed to be, and it made him doing his job as captain and kind of marshalling the back line very easy. Uh, so I think Alonzo, if he is able to work on positioning, when to go on the, on the marauding run or get way forward to score a goal, and when to sit back a little bit more with the, with the back line, I think he's going to be fine. The other thing, though, too, is, you know, if you think about, you know, a, a Lingard or someone who has a ridiculous amount of speed on the wing, you know, or Raheem Sterling, uh, Alonso's going to really he, he's going to have to up his game against those types of players. I mean, you saw Arsenal get behind him multiple times yesterday, and that could be an area if Emerson possesses just a more stout, you know, kind of tackling and, and speed element that you see. You know, just the lineup change based on who we're playing. And that wouldn't be a, a slight towards Alonzo, I don't think. I think it's just the, you know, if Chelsea have to get in top four and you have to make hard decisions to make sure the team wins, you know, th- these are all team players, man. So, uh, I, you know, I, I think everyone who's been on Alonzo's back, can can we just give this a second to breathe? Can, can we I just, just come? Can I just come in here as well? I uh, just wanted to kind of agree with you boys, but also add a bit more of my take on it, which was that I totally agree. The team dynamic thing that Dan was touching on and giving Alonso space to breathe. But, you know, a lot of the problems defensively are, you know, systemic and to do with this massive switch in the tactics. And then you look at Aspilicueta. So we, we talk about Alonso because maybe he's not as popular as uh, Aspilicueta, not as established, you know, he's not a leader uh, like Aspilicueta. But 
Aspilicueta really badly struggled against Man City. He got he got overloaded. Teams are overloading Chelsea at fullbacks. They're targeting this position uh, because you know Barkley and and Kante or Fabregas, whoever's playing, uh, they, they they're kind of struggling to co- kind of cover. Chelsea are not pressing well enough. Certainly something that's worrying Sari. Uh, defensively, he seems to be more worried than he is uh, in the attacking phases of play. Um, and Aspilicueta. He got targeted a lot against Arsenal. He struggled at times. There was lots of chances created down the right-hand side as well as the left-hand side. So um, Alonso is, as we all know, um, you know, not as popular with the Chelsea fans as Aspilicueta. But Aspili has struggled as well, and he's not the quickest player, uh, just like Alonso isn't. So fullback, it's, it was an area that I was worried about um, before the start of the season, and I think it. It might be the area where Chelsea is shortest. Um, now it's up to these players to prove that they are good enough. They can do that job. Um, and I think that it's a bit reductive to sort of just say, if you take Alonso out of the team, Chelsea will be more defensively solid. I don't think they will. I think Emerson will struggle as well. Well, let's go ahead and just move that conversation into it because that was the next part was our defending you know obviously up to nothing but it easily could have been 2-2 and next thing we know it was 2-2 so you know Chelsea conceded the two goals yesterday damn but it could have been so many more Arsenal were really just finding the gaps between our midfielders and our defenders whenever they got to the end line to cross it back it's really concerning but is it a possibility that maybe Maurizio isn't as bothered about defending and is just like, let's just outscore everyone, kind of like the Klopp style? <laughs> what do you think there? And I know you did watch the Newman video, which was fantastic, because I did too. So you're probably going to give us some some sneak peeks of what he said in there. Yeah, Newman, who uh, is you know also uh, Nami Footy on Twitter, is a, is a good friend of ours. And yeah, you know, I, I think he highlights it pretty well in the video, but we'll talk about that for those who didn't see it you know, a lot of what happened is down to the fact that you had defenders and midfielders form this nice flat line and when you had you know a, a you know a right back or someone marauding down the line and basically was marked by one person and everybody has scooted as forward to the goal as they possibly can thinking that they're going to help the situation and leaving this gapping amount of real estate and like I, I know Naz talking to you about like you kind of you know where you're living you know inside outside London London real estate's expensive and like especially in the Chelsea you know in the, in the SW6 area there's a lot of real estate available there in this match for Arsenal to kind of come into and there was nobody there marking that area and so you had Conte and Jorginho kind of getting pulled out going extremely flat you didn't have you know Pedro William kind of plugging the right holes so you know, Sarri's kind of really operated on this, you know, 15, you know, kind of uh, meter, you know, or 1500 yard space where, you know, you want all these three lines of attackers, midfielders and defenders to move in unison. And what wasn't happening was there was no coordination in that 15 moment that Sarri said he would rather have been smoking than uh, having to watch parts of that uh, parts of that. And you could see it with the fact that he was holding the actual pack in his hand the entire game. It was it was down to communication and not being organized when those happened. I, I I actually think that is a much easier thing to solve because that's practice, that's comfort. It's not necessarily like those goals shouldn't have happened. You know, if we can replicate what we did for the first 15, 20 minutes of this match over a 70, 80, 90 minute period, you know, we are going to steamroll a lot of teams in the Premier League this season. 
but it's just coming down to being comfortable with this and not falling or lapsing back into some pretty bad habits, Nick. So, yeah, to your point, uh, I, I think if I were to categorize the the defending of these two goals, and I was very frustrated with both of them and the six other real chances that Arsenal had that they just <laughs> flubbed or missed or whatever, I, I think part of the part of the midfield is still in in golo Conte mode or in and what I, what I mean is just collapsing on whoever has the ball and, and attempting to take it off. And so there's a little bit of Angolo, there's a little bit of Antonio Conte mindset still within this team uh, to provide a shield. Uh, and, and instead of the lines moving together, like you were referencing, uh, I would say that like the, you know, the midfield on the second goal specifically where Wobi kind of cuts across is way too deep. You know, they, they're not providing any sort of push. And so, Awobi has no problem cutting in front and just, you know, kind of hitting a shot straight up the middle, giving Kepa no time to react. So that that's a huge problem. I think the wings, if if the if the scenario that we're going to see all year is that teams are going to target the wings and then cut the ball back across, you know, I think we can solve for that. But I, I worry about our units moving together. That is kind of a glaring weakness right now, and I think it. You know, to me, it, it's still just a little bit of the Antonio and the sorry mindset kind of smashing together. And once Maurizio gets his guys doing what he needs them to do, I think it will probably look and feel a lot more solid. Naz, what do you think? Yeah, definitely. I totally agree, man. I think that this is the main issue. This is why Sari keeps saying it's going to take two, three months. It's going to take two or three months to really show my true football. And you need to be confident in your defensive sort of phase then, so you can sort of express yourself and, and play this beautiful football all the time. Um, Chelsea showed they could do it, though, for long, large parts of this game. Okay, they were absolutely abysmal for those 15 minutes they were so bad I mean Arsenal they blew quite a few chances you know they they were on top of Chelsea for that short period I mean Chelsea deserved to win the game but for that short period it was a disaster half time came at the right time for Chelsea that was that was a great timing for Chelsea and the fact that the players were able to pull themselves together and recover from that it, it takes great character but it, it sets you an example it shows it's like a sort of it's like a house of cards and like if one person isn't doing his job right it can really undermine the whole system because Chelsea aren't the most physical side it's been referenced many times and they aren't the quickest side they aren't the strongest side so they really need to be tight in the system they really need to then they're not they're not great 1v1 defenders it's all about the system and Sarri's whole football lives and dies by the system so when it goes wrong Teams like Arsenal can really exploit it. Huddersfield can't. But Arsenal with Ozil, a number 10 who can pick the right pass, Mkhitaryan, and they were picking those right passes, uh, were really doing some damage. And and Chelsea need to be really on point and they really need to listen to Sarri and really buy into his philosophy if they, if they want to win trophies because that's the only way they're going to win these big matches. And Arsenal, the weakest of the top six, uh, arguably, um, you know, there was a bit of a sort of, you know, it just showed you that Chelsea really need to get this system down and on point and they're not there yet. And we need not get carried away, even though they did beat Arsenal on the day. Well, shout out to uh, Emrik Engstrom from Sweden on Instagram, hitting us with asking what went wrong. Uh, at Jeff Boston and at Chelsea underscore Rocket as well, asking what's going on with the defense. I mean, you know, to me, I 
I, you know, keep it short. I think that it is a system transition thing. We're just figuring it out. But what I would like to point out is that last season, we couldn't score goals when they fell in our lap. It is great to see that even though we're having some defense defensive lapses, that we're able to go outgun the other team. That is something that we struggled so, so much with last season was scoring the goals or taking the chances when they came. And uh, it's looking much brighter already this season. So I think that is a, a good sign going forward that even if we can't keep it together defensively, uh, we've got a lot going forward under Maurizio, which is great. So Brandon, I think one thing is that you know, for for everyone calling for an adaption or adjustment, you know, they need game time and game minutes working as this collective back four. If this is going to be the back four that Mauricio Sarri is going to say, like, we're going to play this back four and I'm going to ride it as, as hard as I can to be the defensive unit that I roll into the biggest matches of the season with, like... As much as you might be saying, like, let's plug Christensen in, let's like, take Emerson in, like, I think that's too reactionary, and they need time specifically over a run of fixtures that involve Newcastle, Bournemouth, Cardiff, and uh, West Ham. Like, there's a great opportunity to gel because that next, like, big match on the horizon being the Liverpool match at the end of September, like, there's so much progress that can occur for this back four that the the patience comment that Mauricio Sarri made very early on saying he, we, you know, we, we need to expect and we need to ask for patience is is the big thing right now. We can't be too reactionary to want plug-and-play moments. We have to let this, this unit gel together at this moment. Awesome. All right. Well, I think uh, we've got a lot of stuff covered on this one, but we do want to go throw it out there. And as we kind of head into the tail end of this episode, uh, any other thoughts or you know comments that you guys want to bring out of this game, uh, Nick, that maybe we didn't touch on originally? Um, you know, I, I just I think the midfield is really interesting, and I, I think we're going to get to some of this in part two. So I don't want to do too much spoiler alert stuff here, but uh, th- there is a sense, or at least there was a sense among our group in Kansas City as we were watching this game that uh, N'Golo may have to um, slot back a little bit to protect Jorginho and to protect the back line. Uh, if if we are going to play a Man City or a Liverpool or you know a team with some some real attacking talent, you know I think we overall my sense from the match was yesterday that we played well for most of the second half and the first twenty minutes, but uh, that this team still was vulnerable. So in, in cases like that, you might see Angola further back and maybe Kovacic or Barkley doing a lot more of the uh, offensive work and trying to win the ball back in a higher position. Uh, but that that kind of struck me as odd. It felt to me like the midfield was very unbalanced yesterday for you know periods of the game, and that was that was kind of the thing that made me the most nervous, I guess. All right. Well, hopefully we get into that a little bit in part two. Uh, Naz, anything you know, especially you being in the stadium, that maybe you wanted to pull out that we wouldn't have gotten? Yeah. Sometimes when you're in the stadium, I guess you just sort of you just try to look at the players' faces, especially when they come off the pitch. And I thought it was really important to do that after the first half because you saw the game transform, um, you know, just from the last 15 minutes. You just saw Chelsea lose their heads, really. And I just thought, how are the players going to react to that? Because these guys are winners. These guys know that this is a problem. They know that, that things have gone wrong. And I was looking at the players and uh, they were deep in discussions. They were 
they're almost, you know, they're working out Sari's system as they go along. They're talking to each other as well as, you know, learning from the coaches. And I, I you know, I saw Alonso and Barkley really deep in discussion. And I'm not saying that those guys are to blame or, or whatever, but it just shows you that there's relationships all over the pitch. And it's not just the defenders who are responsible for defending. All too often people look for a scapegoat, but... It's a team game and these guys were trying to work it out themselves and I thought that was really interesting, that was really mature and uh, and I thought that Alonso and Barkley talking to each other, it could have easily been Aspiliqueta and Kante, you know, those two guys are, are far more highly rated, I guess, than, you know, you'd say Barkley or Alonso are, but, you know, there's problems all over the pitch with those kind of relationships and I thought that they're really clicking to gear attacking-wise, That's it's amazing to see, but it shows you that when when people criticise the players for not being good enough attacking last season because they didn't score enough goals, um, they do have the talent to attack well. They're showing it now this season. And now if they get criticised for their lack of defensive ability, well, they've been doing brilliant for two seasons under Antonio Conte. So um, it just shows you football is all about systems, styles of play. And often these tweaks, it can just create new weaknesses. There's no perfect system. There's no perfect lineup. Well, maybe Man City can find a perfect lineup, but... There's no real, uh, there's no, there's no clear answers, and everyone's just taking a chance and trusting these guys. And I thought that was really interesting, just to look at these communications, and it showed that something was wrong. And I just thought it took great character to come back from that um, in the second half. And Chelsea were brilliant in the second half, and it was a complete. They they turned the game from a chaotic firefight into a game of control. It's actually what you want to see is a is a team controlling the game, and they controlled their way to victory and I thought that was really mature of them to be able to do that and these experienced players achieved something really good on the day awesome love it Dan anything else you want to pull out I I just want to make a comment that N'Golo Conte almost scored a bullet header and that would have been uh, very high on the list of top goals I've ever witnessed in my lifetime so small uh, small guy header had to be done the, the, the the dream would have stayed alive. I mean, and, and Hazard had his against Crystal Palace, which was fantastic. The rebound penalty uh, header in the uh, in that one season. Uh, this, this one would have topped it. That would have been incredible. All right. I love it. Well, let's go ahead and just move it right into your man of the match poll, Dan. That is right. I'm giving you complete and full ownership and responsibility for the comments on these. Well, and as you should, rightfully. Uh, so we, we did run a man of the match poll. And it had Alonso, Morata, Pedro, and of course the entire country of Spain, because our Spanish Inquisition uh, asked the questions of Arsenal that they could not answer. And Alonso nearly beat out the entirety and the entire population of Spain, 42% to 39. Pedro at 11%, and Morata at eight. But uh, ultimately, Spain and Chelsea were the winners yesterday. In addition to Alonso. All right. Well, as the table stands, Man City in first on six points. Chelsea in second on six points. Watford and Spurs joining them as well. All in six points with Bournemouth rounding it out. So the only difference right now is goal difference. Man City smashing Huddersfield 6-1. Really gave them the edge. Um, Obviously, Liverpool have one more game to play, so they could join the perfect start of the season as well as they play on Monday. Um, obviously a lot of shifting will still be done, but you know, Naz, the 
I didn't put it out there, opt to put it out, but I'm just going to tell it to you. Maybe you're interested in it or not. But uh, by Chelsea beating Arsenal, this is now their uh, worst start to a season since the 92-93 season, if that matters. I don't know. To be fair, though, they played City and Chelsea. Like, that's a brutal first two matches. Yeah, I mean, that is that is harsh. But, you know, they play West Ham next time, uh, next time out. And if they fail against West Ham, even a draw... It kind of looks really bad already and, uh, you know, you need some points on the board to kind of, you know, transition to a new era. What Chelsea have done great is they still have problems, but they got the points. So what, what more can you ask for, really? And and maybe when they do finally click into gear later in the season, they'll feel the benefit of not having dropped those points. But, I mean, Man City are just unbelievable. We saw that in the Community Shield. I'm sure you guys recognise this is a special team and a dangerous team. And, you know, the fact that Sari even said after the game, even after beating his London rivals in his first home game as Chelsea manager, he couldn't bring himself to say that Chelsea could compete for the title. In fact, he said they couldn't, um, which I think is a bit of a gamesmanship, but it just shows you there is that respect. Man City have that fear factor. And to be fair, you you kind of like saying fair enough, whoever you support. Yeah, I mean they're just such a cut above right now. It's I think if you're a fan of any other team, maybe bar Liverpool, you don't really think that you have a chance. Um, and and that can change. A lot can happen in a season. De Bruyne is injured, blah blah blah. But I mean, they they're in in season three of Pep. They're doing really well. You know, I think let's you know if you're a Chelsea fan and you're listening to the show and you're like, well, why are you waxing poetic about Man City? They're really good. Let's focus on us and let's make sure that we are progressing towards the finish line. And uh, and I think if we do that, guys, then then the season's going to be a win for us. Well, and you know, it came down to you know a fraction of points that were separating us from fifth and sixth place last season, or even being in, in the top three. And the fact that we've gotten a six point lead off of Arsenal to start the season, a three point lead off of United. I mean, all, all these points matter, and to start collecting points early against you know premium competition to start the season is nothing other than something to smile about. Absolutely. So if Arsenal don't get points off West Ham, just set the stage for that. West Ham went up from 20th to 19th only on goal difference. So that's that's the lifeline they're hanging on to. But uh, Dan, you're right. You got to get points against the other top six. That is how you secure the top four finish for us. Um, and that's what Chelsea want this season, except for Nick, who didn't predict top four for never. No. Okay. Well, anyways, uh, he did not. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't catch our preseason predictions, make sure to go check that out. So uh, we are going to wrap up our match preview or match review right now, but don't worry. We are going to be back on later this week with your social media questions. We're going to be running through the, uh, the match preview with Newcastle at the weekend. So don't worry. Uh, we got more coming at you. But again, as always, Naz, thank you so much for joining us and jumping on the podcast. As always, uh, we love having a chat with you and can't wait to hang out in person in London next time we're there. I'm looking forward to welcoming you guys once again. It's always great. That's fantastic. Uh, Dan, Nick, final thought you guys want to leave the good people with. Nick, we can kick it off with you. I love beating Arsenal. I just love it. It is so joyous. Uh, it was it was good to be back in that winning in that winning mindset at home against them. So there's there is next to nothing better. But Dan, what about you? Final thought? Nah, fam, all good blood. 
<laughs> All right. Well, I'll just go ahead and do a, a big shout to the Chelsea women's team who are off to a great start as they kick off their campaign. Don't forget about them. It is a club with much, much success going on at all levels and all teams, so make sure you don't miss it. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up, Chelsea fans. So again, thank you so much for listening. We'll, we will be back later this week. But until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.